0: I mean that's Bobby Lee, Ike Baronholtz uh Daniel. Yeah, Key and Pill, absolutely. All those guys were there.
1: Coming from Chicago, a Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Paul Vato and welcome to Paul Votto Presents, where my guest today is Brandy Stilwell, comedic actor. actor, actor okay. and Writer, author, uh, let's get to know Brandy. Brandy, welcome and thank you so much for doing my show.
0: Of course, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: It is my absolute pleasure. Uh, this is Fireside, if you're not familiar with it. I'm glad that you were able to, to uh, log on with no problems. It's uh, One of the owners is Mark Cuban and I think it's a great app for what we do, you know, podcasting and, and all this great stuff. So thank you for playing along and um, we were trying to figure out how we actually met because our, our paths have crossed for many years, and I think we figured out it must have been at Mad TV.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely, because we were we were torn between Mad TV or iOS, rest in peace. Um, but I think I think I knew you from I met you, or I would see you on the floor at. During tapings at Mad TV, and then uh, then years later, I would run into you at one of my theaters at IO West. Rest in peace.
1: rest in peace. <laughs> I, lo- I love how you put that in your bio. Anytime you mention IO, it's followed with rest in rest peace.
0: In peace. <laughs> that was one say- IO West with my church for so many years. I mean. Everything in L.A. is expensive, but you could, if you knew where to park in Hollywood, you could park for free. If you were a student or performer, you either got in discounted or for free, and then the bar there was so insanely cheap, and there was nothing else like it in town. And so if you didn't have anything to do on a Friday or Saturday night, and you couldn't get a hold of your friends. You could just go to I O, and you would always know somebody. Um, and you could spend all night laughing your ass off and hardly pay any money. It was fantastic while it lasted.
1: It really, it really, really was. And for us, it was like a second home because when I got to L A. in right around two thousand, it was like going somewhere where you may not know the people, but we knew the comedy. Uh, we started doing our show touched by an Anglo there when we first came out, and then, and and that's how we got you know agents and managers and all that. But it was like a like a little slice of Chicago where we felt you know comfortable. You know, L. A. can be overwhelming and daunting, but because of of uh, I. O. It was everything that you said and right. We were able to drink for relatively relatively cheap <laughs> and park where we you know when L. A. is such a Driving city, that it was nice to have something like that. So that's wonderful. Yeah. How did you end up on, on Mad TV?
0: Um, I was working at a post house called Post Logic. Rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> everything's dead and gone. Um, but I was, I was like the the, the point guard for three different shows at. Post Logic, which was, because uh, I'm super old, Mr. Show, uh, gosh, uh, David Cross, Bob, Bob Odenkirk, such a phenomenal show, uh, Miss uh, the Jeff Foxworthy Show, and Mad TV. And the Jeff Foxworthy Show stole me because they didn't have, like, a post supervisor. And I went and did that. Uh, like, they snagged me, like, in the, the second season of it, and then it got canceled. Then... um. I took a, a job at some some other post house. I was only there two weeks. So everyone got really mad at me because it was like Super Bowl time and I filled out the squares and then I won. Uh like I won the big lottery uh on the square thing. And then I got a job at Mad TV. Uh until so I took my money and left. But in my interview, uh the associate post producer, her name was Charlotte. She had left Mad TV. She was leaving to and I was her liaison at at post Logic, at um before I'd left for Foxworthy. And she had reached out to me because she was she was leaving. She was trying to save her marriage and had brought me in to replace her because I knew the show. Uh and then I also knew how to post supervise. And so I went in and I ended up meeting with Fax and Adam who created Mad TV. And it was um I I make a lot of bad decisions, wrote a book about it. Um, and that particular day I had on a lime green cardigan, like Argyle sweater that I'd never worn before with like the shell underneath it. And so there was like little floaties that kept coming off of it, little flyaways, and they were getting caught in my mouth and in my eyelashes. And I'm trying to like, pretend like this is normal. And if I got up from the couch, you could see where I had been. There was like body outline of like my back of the green argyle but I was so just I was so distracted in my interview with them because they had like a three foot tall bust of Elvis and it was made out of gun ammo and cigarette butts and so between the floating (laughs) trying to like talk and like pull like weird fibers out of my out of my mouth I'm still obsessed With gun ammo, cigarette butt, Elvis Presley. And I kept getting up in the middle of my interview, like also trying to not have stuff in my face and mouth, but still like, what the hell is this? Because this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And I think they appreciated, uh, my weirdness, um. For everything that was going on around them, and they had toys in their office, and you know, I have toys here, and it's just you know, that's who I am, and I base that's how I got it. I think it was a shoe in, but they were also like, you know, with the cardigan sweater incident, I think they were kind of afraid of me. But I ended up being at Mad TV from episode uh, 315 to episode 922, so I was there. Um, um uh, post super, post supervisor, associate post producer during that time. So well over a hundred episodes.
1: Wow! So, so from like what years to what? From what year to what year were you there?
0: You're asking me to do math. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> it was the late 1900s, Paul.
1: <laughs> the late, I love that. The late 1900s. Yes, yes, it was. Uh, no, it was the mid 2000s, wasn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, maybe you were, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, you're
1: right. Let's not do math. Well, I'm trying to figure out if mid-2000s is actually like 2050, and it hasn't happened yet, or if we can say mid-2000s for 2005, 2006, because I feel like that's about when I was there, you know, hanging out with with Bobby Lee. Yeah, I mean, that's Bobby Lee,
0: Ike Barinholtz, uh, Daniel yeah. Key and Peele. Absolutely. Yeah. All those guys were there.
1: Ron, Ron Peterson.
0: even though I was, I was post, if I had, we did pre-tapes, you know, we would shoot on third, you know, every Thursday we shot pre-tapes. Every other Friday was pre-tapes. And then, so not only would I have to get an episode out and on the air, but I would also have to, um, uh, we would also have to get the pre-tapes edited for the playback on every other Friday night for a live taping to get the laugh mm-hmm. track. I mean, we still sweetened it with a sweetener, but you know, the base of it was a laugh track. And you know, if people were—if the audience had been lined up since three o'clock that afternoon, we'd start taping at five thirty. And here I'm trying to play a a sketch back at like eleven. Nobody was laughing.
1: <laughs> nope, nope, so, those those could be some long days Uh, at least i was always able to go and hang out and maybe take a nap in ike's uh uh, dressing room or or use the facilities in bobby's ike was always like don't use the bathroom here use it in bobby lee's which was i thought was always fun so that's you know i think that must have been when we first met and then of course uh improv olympic uh in in, in the rest in peace in the in the latter years uh, did you yes. study at the I.O. Uh, or Second City as well, or Groundlings, or did you do any in, of in, in the L.A. improv schools?
0: I did. Um, uh, I have studied at Groundlings, UCB, graduated from I.O. West, rest in peace, and Second City. So, yeah, wow. alumni.
1: <laughs> did you ever do anything in Chicago? I mean, I know you're, I think, from the Midwest, but you didn't yeah, do anything probably- in Chicago.
0: No, I came. Um, after I left KU, it, I did two seasons in uh, film school in Rockport, Maine. And between seasons at film school, I did an internship at New York City. But again, you know, I had weird, dumb stuff that would happen to me all the time. And even the people in New York were like, fuck Seinfeld still well Cause I, I mean, I could go to lunch and come back with like pigeon poop on my face and my head and, you know, try and give a homeless person like here, I have part of my egg salad sandwich. Do you want some only to find out that they hated egg salad and they would just chuck it back at me. <laughs> so I always had something. Um, but I, the thought of doing comedy was not, you know, I was like, I'm gonna be a writer, I'm gonna be a producer, I don't know what I'm gonna be, but I kind of fell into Post. And then that's how like, so when I ended up in LA, everyone's like, oh, well, you know Post. And I was like, I don't want to do Post, And but that's where the beginning of my career had started, was in Post-production.
1: What were you doing then on on shows like American Dad and uh, Family Guy, was this in in, in Post as well, or were you writing on on those shows?
0: Um, after I left Mad TV, Alex Borstein, like they had just, Fox had just resurrected uh, Family Guy from the Graveyard. And so they were starting it back up after it being dormant for like two years. So I was there, gosh, I can't even tell you the numbers. I, I came in on episode 301. Um, but I have no idea where I ended because it's, animation and it's like you could like if so i was a script supervisor so if you i could have i could be going in you know we would table read on a tuesday record on thursday but then i'd also have an animatic a a blue script a a pink script the different episodes at different stages that we had to do you know uh pick up or if adam west didn't live in Los Angeles. I think, he even, I think he lived in Indiana and so he would fly in. And so I would just have everything banked and organized. So I would sit in the record booth with Seth. And I, um, it was, so it was just Seth, myself and um, our uh, recordist. And then, um, uh, but I don't know how many episodes I did. Right. I do know at one point, My biggest claim to fame was I think we had counted, like right when I left, I did over, I was part of recording over 11,000 lines of dialogue, and I only missed one line, and it was Adam West. And I was picking up, he was getting ready to leave, and Seth asked me a question, and I was answering it. And then somebody else asked me another question, and I was trying to get back to Adam, and he had left. And, but luckily, that was on we were doing a pickup on a Friday and he wasn't flying back out until Tuesday. So we came back in on Monday. So it was like, Oh, but still I missed one out of 11,000 lines of time.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's pretty impressive. That's amazing.
0: Had uh, so much, I mean that, you know, it was wonderful, you know, as a script supervisor and then the people that would come through there were, you know, it was uh, it's lots of stories came out of, <laughs>
1: came I'll out bet. of there. So. I'll bet. Uh, any other interesting shows that you worked on that you'd like to tell us about, or or any stories that that uh, you may have experienced in any of these other mostly comedic shows that uh, you've been a part of? Well, I will
0: say, I you know anyone that knows. Seth MacFarlane knows he's, he's total germaphobe. And um Ron Jeremy came in. Uh now I had never hadn't seen his films, uh, just you know, reputation. And the kitchen family guy, I don't know if it's still like that now, but back in the day, the kitchen family guy was like uh it's like a s walking into a Seven Eleven. Like if you wanted a king size Butterfinger. There was a whole box full of it. There were, I mean, any kind of, you know, there were, if you couldn't go to lunch, there'd just be bangs of soup, soda, but just mainly candy everywhere. And, uh, uh, Seth had like tugged my shoulder to be like, Ron Jeremy was kind of, we're trying to get him to like leave he wasn't leaving he wasn't leaving and he wasn't leaving and he kind of walked over to the kitchen and there was a big bucket you know like a smart and final kind of bucket of uh, pretzels but it had one of those scoops in it and you know pre-covid <laughs> and he's just talking Ron Jeremy is just talking to us and again we're like please just okay go you're done go and um he walks over to the bucket of pretzels and just unscrews it pulls out the scooper puts it down and she's holding the bucket with his hands and i'm watching seth's face because it's ron jeremy like you know where those fucking hands have been like uh, oh we know um and everybody- <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> we're all like oh my god oh my god and. Um, but he's just talking. It's a Tuesday, like whatever. He doesn't, you know, and we're all like, Oh my God. And so he finally puts it back down and the scooper back in and the lid, at least he put the lid back on and we're like, okay, bye. And he goes to leave and Seth is like, you don't touch it. Don't touch it, but burn it, burn it to the ground. And it, I think it was like November or something. Cause we still had Halloween tape and stuff that was out like crime scene. And so I just went and got like, Duct tape and sealed it like a tomb, and then just wrapped crime scene all around it. And I'm like, you know, put a little sign up. Ron Jeremy's hands have been all up in here. <laughs> Stay away. Do not touch. And you're like, oh god. And I think it sat on the shelf there for like a year because people were like kind of mesmerized. And then finally, one day, Seth was like, that shit is nasty. Just someone, someone th- throw it out. And I think one of the PAs went and got rid of it. So
1: amazing. But- Amazing. Well, I think that was his M.O. because I'm trying to remember where I first met Ron Jeremy, and I guess everyone has maybe some Ron Jeremy stories. And I I, I want to say it was probably like at the upfronts, if that's what they're called, you know, uh, for, for for Matt TV, <clears throat> because maybe he'd made an appearance, so he, he'd he been invited, or maybe if, if you're part of some organization, you, you're allowed to, to go. But basically, they were like, he just comes here to eat. He just... You know, so he doesn't have to pay for food. So I think that that was kind of his mo is he would just hang out. You know, whenever there was some kind of Emmy event, or I, I don't know if he was a member of the Academy. I mean, he is an actor in film, like you said, film.
0: Um, I uh, think after that, Seth was like to the writers, no, you know, if you know, because you know, we would do stunt casting. So if somebody wrote a joke with Ron Jeremy, you would bring in that actor. If it was the cast of Nine Hundred Two and you would bring in, you know jenny and tori and jason you know to to do that so he was just like no more ron jeremy i mean towards the end there were there were several actors several people that were just banned i'm <laughs> coming and he was he was one of them well oh like now i need a silkwood shower just talking about it i'm like ah, oh, i can't get the water hot enough
1: <laughs> well i also read not to keep bringing him up but I also ran into him uh, when I first started dating. She's my ex now. And we were at Rock and Roll Ralph's. And I, I see Ron. I'm sure I just ran into him, but probably at this Matt TV event. So I, I go, hey, Ron. He goes, hey, Paul. We just chatted. I go, oh, this is uh, my, I think I said girlfriend. This is my girlfriend, Sarah. And, uh, you know, and then afterwards, and he's like, oh, hi. I think she shook her hand. And I was like, whoa, okay. Well, you know, she, she shook his hand. Uh, I didn't stop her. Because uh, we just started dating, who might have to say no? And then uh, when when he left, uh, she goes, she goes, how do you know Ron Jeremy? And I go, wait a minute, how do you know Ron Jeremy? Because I'm like, how did she know who he was? Like she must have been some kind of pervert. So uh, so yeah, that, those are a few stories. And then I last ran into him maybe three years ago, and, and uh, probably not a good advertisement. I, I had him hold one of my cigar boxes. And we took a photo at an after party, but this was probably maybe four years ago in LA. And then, uh, yeah, haven't really seen him since. Who else was banned? Is there? Can you tell us who else was banned? From?
0: I think he's in prison now, I think. I don't
1: know. I believe so. I think so. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm anyone, so else you, anyone else that you can tell us who was banned from uh, uh, Family Guy or? Uh,
0: no, it's, okay. I would only say Ron Jeremy. He's in prison. Um, oh. I just remember uh, uh, Gene Simmons came in and he was just being so gross and like, n- not like, no one was impressed. Like, you're like, huh? Um, but I just remember in the record booth, we had uh, glass uh, windows. I mean, they're soundproof and everything, but he was talking and everything and he had leaned up against it. And when he walked away, there was like a weird hair stain.
1: Yeah. So <laughs>
0: And we were like, 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 leave leave it. So I think it was there for the longest time because even the cleaning crew at night, why would, they wouldn't go, you know, they didn't go into, if they went into the record booth, it was just to like pull the trash out. Like they didn't, you know. So it was only the people that knew that saw it, that was there. There was like this weird hair stain that, a Gene Simmons weird hair stain that was on the glass. And it was there for the longest time. So if I walked by it, I was always like, What
1: (laughs) what memories um i mean yeah there were there were probably people like that but i think that you also met maybe some wonderful actors and comedians because i saw a photo of you with betty white and i was i i think i saw that somewhere what was you know were you guys friends did you guys how did you guys get to know each other or was she also banned from all the shows
0: no i'm kidding. Uh, we had her band you filthy potty sure. mouth. No um, yeah. Yeah. Every time I worked with Betty White and I'm gonna cry um, Sharp as a tack smartest one in the room and um, She was just so quick-witted and um so I met her at, you know, she came in family time, family guy a few times and I would always cry because, you know, she was such a huge, like an animal lover and humanitarian and did so much, you know, charity for animals. And that like always would, you know, it just meant so much to me. And then for her, she would always put her hand on my arm and be like, you know, Brandy, you gotta, you gotta keep getting me these jobs. Cause, uh, I gotta, got a lot of animals to feed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on it. Um, and then uh, I met her again. I did a stop. I worked on a stop motion animated show called Glenn Martin DDS. It was with Catherine O'Hara. It's only, that's why I took the the, the job because Catherine O'Hara was on it and Kevin Nealon. But she came in, and I had done a tournament, an improv tournament. It was a um, it was a quad, it was a quartet tournament. I think at IO. and so it was like a four-person team and it was just you know single elimination like you know it was like an ncaa basketball bracket Mm -hmm. you know to kind of get to the the last two and uh we had called ourselves my dinner with betty and Mm -hmm. it's a picture of her eating a hot dog (laughs) and um i was just like uh, you know, and I brought in my, that improv poster of, uh, my dinner with Betty. It was like a one-off team and she signed it for me. And I was just like, Oh my God. I mean, I have her, she's signed a couple of things, but that meant so much to me. Um, she was just, she was a good person, just a, a good, you know, you always hear, don't meet your heroes and trust me. Um, uh, I met one of mine at Family Guy, um, who, let's just say, uh, his initials are CC, and he was on SNL. Um, and he was just awful. But, uh, and it destroyed me as a human being because I had such a crush on him as a child. But then, you know, here's Betty White. And, you know, when you hear that saying, don't meet your heroes, always disappoint. blew my expectations. Like, everything you would hope and want her to be, she was and more. So, yeah.
1: uh. Oh. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, uh, maybe one day we can talk about CC, but I'd rather leave this on a high note, you know, <laughs> I know. I, yeah, I was like, wait a minute. Is it CK? Go to- yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean now. Uh, it's, and that's such a shame because I have heard, I have heard horror stories, but it's wonderful that you have this great connection with Betty White. Cause I mean, I never met her, but it's one of those big regrets in life where I, I wish, I wish I would have, you know, cause Well, A, I love old people, you know, to begin with, but to have met somebody like Betty White, who was uh, such an icon and and, uh, a brilliant actor and then became a brilliant comedic actor and, like I said, so sharp.
0: That's how, you know, being a family guy is how I met Carrie Fisher, and she played Peter's boss, Angela, and she was always a handful. Uh, but you know, it's fucking Carrie Fisher, and just meant so much to me. And we had Phyllis Diller and Charles Journing, and it was just like, oh my god, you know, I mean, every now and then, I mean, it's a, it was a job. And there was a lot of, you know, drama and heartache that came with that, dro- that job and disappointment. But at the same time, every now and then you'd be like, holy shit, like here's Charles Durning, like, like teaching me how to make sailor knots that because he carries string like or like a little rope in his pocket. And he would like, well, he would be waiting in our little lounge area before he would go in, he'd be like making sailor knots and like, come here, let me show you how to make sailor knots. And I was never any good at it, but you know, it was just those kind of things that, you know, I will take with me to my grave. Cause, and you know, you gotta be like, how freaking lucky am I? I'm so lucky that, you know, this amazing person and, you know, teaching me how to make a sailor knot. So.
1: Wow. Amazing. Now, um, it's 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 so weird. It's 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 great that you know like who all these people are, you know, like Phyllis Diller and things like that. Because you look so young, that that it's like, how do you know all these people? But it's that's amazing. <laughs> My whole body
0: sounds like a haunted ship. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing and sharing a lot of those uh, inside stories—the good and the bad and the ugly and whatnot. Um, but now let's. Uh, what should we talk about first? Your DC comic or your book? What would you like to talk about first? Uh,
0: well, the, the DC comic, um, going back to improv, um, I was doing... Um, I was in Second City and had auditioned to get into the grad program, and Ron West was the director of the team that I got uh, picked to be on. And we were given an assignment. Um, there were four women and four men on the team, and Ron just wanted a sketch. You know, everybody had to go home and write a sketch that had the, all four women. You could add the men if you wanted, but it, everything had to have the four women. And I had been kind of playing around with this Yeti character that kind of sounded like like my Zoe Deschanel and my Yeti sounded as the, they were the same. Um, and I, you know, she had appeared at IO a couple of times and, you know, it was like a go-to, you know, if a, if a show's not going well, you can always pull out, you know, a go-to character kind of thing. And uh, I was on my way to, cause I worked at DC Comics and uh, Warner Brothers and I was on my way to WonderCon in Anaheim. And it was like early, uh, it was like a Friday, no, it was a Friday morning. Um, and I had lived in Glendale at the time off the five freeway. Now I'm going to sound like the Californians. Uh, and I had just gotten on the 110 over by Chavez Ravine, go Dodgers. And, you know, there's Police Academy Road. And so here I am, I'm like, oh, you know, at some point I need to come up with the sketch, but I have to work all weekend because I'll be at WonderCon. And uh, I pass the police academy road and all of a sudden in my head i'm thinking charlie's angels you know once upon a time three little girls went to the police academy and i'm like and you can kind of see the beginning of charlie's angels and i'm like holy shit that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go write a charlie's angel sketch plus a sasquatch or plus a yeti and that's what i ended up doing and um through that process it went from yeti detective <laughs> to sasquatch detective um And it ended up anchoring my grad program, my grad show that ran like seven or eight nights at, you know, weeks at Second City. And then several of the editors from D.C. had come in and they were like, oh, has Dan seen this? He's the publisher. And I'm like, I don't know. He'll come at some point, I guess. And then he did. And then, of course, he gave me notes. And I'm like, dude, church and state. Um. And uh, I took them, but they weren't for that sketch. They were for something else <laughs> yeah. that I had written. And um, so then um, uh, he pulled me in his office one day and was like, hey, what are you going to do with Sasquatch Detective? And I'm like, well, I was probably going to flush her out. It's like an animated show. And he was like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't we put it as an intro, you know, you know, you have to introduce uh, characters, you know, kind of gradually. So, what if we put her in the back of Mark Russell's Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles? So that's how she came. She was supposed to be in all six, but then we had drama with the artist and wasn't able to get the work done. She's in the middle of a divorce or something, and so it. She, so Sasquatch Detective only ended up in five of those. And then um, I was asked to do a one shot. And so that way we were going to compile those five stories. And then they gave me X amount of pages to, that I could tell whatever I wanted. And I went ahead and created an origin story in the beginning and then tied everything back to the stories that you would hit with that one last page at the very end that was like, Oh shit. Well, you know, so that's what happened with that. And then it's been a pitched a couple of times and I own the IP, um, because I worked at DC comics. I was not paid. So I, and it, because it was conflict of interest. So I retained the IP for it. And, um, you know, so it's been pitched around a couple of times and it's it's like it gets greenlit and it's getting ready to, you know, we're waiting for this and this. And then at buys Warner Brothers and then they cut this and they destroy this program. And you're like, OK, there went that. <laughs> so, you know, and that's life in showbiz. So that's kind of where she's at. And but then also. Uh, uh, I I can talk about it now, but I, I I couldn't back then. But I was also freelance writing for Disney <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I was at, when I was at DC Comics. So you know, for your Amazon because and I was able to prove that it was a um, it wasn't a conflict of interest because Warner Brothers didn't have anything like it at the time. So when Warner um, so for Disney it was for Amazon Echo Dot for kids. So I wrote. Zootopia sketches uh, The Incredibles. And of course that was with, you know, for Zootopia it was Jennifer Goodwin and Jason Bateman came in and recorded. And then, you know, Sarah Val for uh, The Incredibles. And then then it became um, uh, d- uh, Dailies, which was like the Princess and the Frog and The Little Mermaid and Cars. Boo, I don't like Cars. Um, Mickey and Friends. But then the coolest thing, the coolest thing that I did get to do was um, when they were shutting down that part, they had Star Wars choose your, um, choose your Own Destiny. And so they had hired me to take the books, uh, four different Star Wars Choose Your Destiny books and put them into a format where they, you could go into a record booth with. So, and the cool thing with that was I actually got to write Huntinese uh, for Jabba the Hunt. <laughs> and um then of course you know Lucas had to like sign off on my new Huntonese lines of that, that dialogue that had, I had had to write um but uh yeah so i mean i did gosh Luke and Leia Han and Chewie Poe and Finn and Anakin and um Obi-Wan those were the four books that i did
1: wow amazing amazing man you've had quite a prolific career as a as a writer and author and whatnot. Speaking of which, being an author, uh, look what I found.
0: What? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I, I'm loving your book. Uh, tell, how did this come about?
0: Um, well, um, it took years to write. I mean, years. Um, and again, going back to like the story in New York city where I would go out and the um you know homeless person would chuck egg salad at me or bird would take a poop on me um every time i go to if i went to the bathroom i could come back with a story um you name it like it just random stuff would happen my dad used to introduce me as his daughter that had the black cloud that followed her everywhere she went thank you um so If I went through a breakup or something and, or if I had acne, um, and I didn't want to go out on a Friday or Saturday night, I would just write and I would write and I always had journals. Oh my God, I bet I have like 50 or 60 journals in my apartment. And I would just write stuff down. And then, um, then, you know, if, you know, then every now and then I would just pull out my computer and start writing these stories. And so for the longest time, the name of the book was called Jesus Hates Me. It was called Jesus Hates Me, But My Mother Tolerates Me, 70 Short Stories, to give you a vague idea why. And everyone loved it, except my mother. And um, she actually
1: cried. Oh,
0: no. Um, it that now that every now and then friends will be like, oh, you know, that was the better title. Um, and I'm like, as long as she's still alive, I can't do it. So uh, that's, I compromised. And that's why it's called None of This Is Going According to Plan. Uh, and it's funny because it's, it's been picked up for a sequel, which, you know, everyone's like, what are you calling this one? And I'm like, well, you know, we all saw I Know What You Did Last Summer. And then the sequel was I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. So the sequel is Still None of This Is Going According to Plan. Um, and you know the funny thing is um uh when i went to go to see i have it on my end too what um available on amazon and barnesandnoble.com uh and i think it's on sale right now y'all uh on amazon um but uh, when we were supposed to be getting this back from the printer uh, and the printer was in Tennessee and I was at my publisher's house, John, who is a wonderful human being. And, you know, um, we were waiting for the book to arrive through FedEx just so you know, flip through it, sign off on it and let it go live. And then um, it went missing, of course. FedEx also. And remember, I told you that my blind cat with no eyes would come up at some point. She just. Here she is. Here's oh. social light. She doesn't have any eyes. Um but How did she
1: lose her eyes?
0: Uh she had glaucoma and ulcers when she was a oh. kitty. And um yeah. Um, so but I'm like She's the bravest thing ever. And, you know, if there's a noise at the door, she runs towards it where everyone else runs away. Uh, so right. I'm like, she'll show up at some point. I'm sitting on a yoga ball. Uh, and I've been through nine yoga balls in the last year and a half because, you know, if you're not sitting correctly, you hear and it's her jumping up on it. Um, But anyway, the uh, the uh, books went missing. And FedEx lost them. We couldn't figure out. And so it, it like cost us like two weeks from letting the, the book go live. And so the printer had to print new ones and then ship it back out FedEx. And so we're like, all right, well, that was weird. But then a few weeks later, you start hearing on the, all over the news. And then it made like national headlines that there were train robberies. <laughs> In Los Angeles, so as with all the brazen robberies that are just happening now, as trains would be you know with merchandise coming in packages into East l a they'd slow down to like five miles an hour, and people were just jumping on the back of the trains, bolt cutters <laughs> emptying out stuff, and then their friends were like stealing it and everything, so we were like, "Oh my God, that's where the books are. Well- train robbery." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean it's the hottest book right now amongst Chicanos in East LA. So the, I'm I'm telling you that's uh fantastic that uh, that that you got the book out there. Very organic. It's so funny cuz the same thing I think happened to uh was it Dan Aykroyd? and like a shipment of his crystal head vodka like that went missing and people were just like it was like well at least people out there are enjoying it type of a thing. So I, I wonder who has your book. If anyone has it then you that,
0: and sure they opened it and just like dumped it on the train tracks because then like this went on for like once this had been going on for months and then once the press got a hold of it and the news and stuff and then it was like a daily thing of people like showing just people robbing you know people walking across the street or across a bridge were what just random people were shooting people robbing trains um and putting it on tiktok and instagram
1: oh and God.
0: Wasn't until, and the train, the tracks were, I mean, it was just thousands and thousands of packages. And it wasn't until one of the trains derailed that they finally cleaned it up. And I the joke was um, that this book is over 400 pages. It's thick. Um, and I'm like, oh, I bet this was what derailed it.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. The book <laughs> book. Your luck is carried in this book. So, uh, so that's was- amazing. <laughs> It's a solid – yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to use it for self-defense if I ever get attacked here. I'll chuck it at some.
0: Right across the jugular. Yeah. I'm here for you.
1: Thank you. Who who did the artwork for it?
0: Uh, Her name is Emma Kubert. And uh, for any of you comic book fans, if you know the name Joe or Andy Kubert – famous comic book artists and there's even the Kubert school of art uh emma is joe's granddaughter and andy's daughter and so she she did it for me and um i wanted the cover and of course you know as far as i knew tanya lightfoot uh sasquatch detective who's named after a, disgr- a disgraced ice skater i love i love tanya hardy um that uh, I wanted her on here as an Easter egg and just tiny, and then she made her bigger than me. <laughs> and so I was like, oh shit, I, I need to, you know, so I ended up telling a story of how when Mad TV go, was rebooted, Bruce Letty, who was one of the who's the main director, had called me and asked me if I could um, audition. For the reboot and i was like i can but i have a small problem i had a black eye i had my first black eye ever and um it was a stage accident at second city <laughs> and so i end up telling that story to justify a sasquatch being on the cover but the chalk outline of the the bloody body uh they yep. these are all easter eggs to stories in the book so The sunken boat, the the five, there's three different $5. There's like a story, three different stories called the $5 trifecta that's in there. Um, Soda cans, which is going to go back to Coca-Cola, which which is why I have a Coke machine behind me. Um, uh, A ghost. Do you mention ghosts? I see dead people. Um, uh, This uh, dentures uh, and a shovel. I had been dating this jerk face, uh, live, my live-in boyfriend. Uh, it's just a story about how his grandmother uh, accidentally got buried that day without her dentures. And I may have volunteered to go dig her up and put the dentures back in her casket. Uh, you know, so it's just it's just a lot of Easter eggs of stuff. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Folks, please, Thank
1: if you, you can. can pick this up it, it is on amazon it's it's on. Was it, did you say barnes and noble or what's what's the other one
0: it's on barnesandnoble.com i think we are working on right now trying to get it into barnes and no- i have a, an awesome publicist um jennifer perry who is uh trying to because this is you know this is i it's a mom and pop publishing company um uh Sideshow media john booker is my uh po- is the the, the publisher And, um, but anyway, uh, it's definitely available on Amazon. Again, like I said, I think it's on sale and then I think it's available on com as well. Well, I, I love,
1: I love that. Maybe, you know, your audience because of what you put here. If you have a few minutes to kill on the subway, need some entertainment before you fall asleep or unexpected time on the toilet, look no further. Brandy's here to share her shame with you. I love that. And I am such a big fan, of course, of Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and David Sedaris. Uh, it's it's brilliant. Uh, you know, he, he's, he is one of my f- favorite authors as well, as as is Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and uh, Rachel Dratch and all these, you know, brilliant uh, improvisers from Chicago. Uh, but, um, yeah, and of course, Me Talk Pretty is one of my uh, favorite books from David Sedaris, and I'm a big fan of Amy Sedaris as well. So uh, you're in great company, and I think that this book is... Uh, is a hit and I think people should should buy it and order it right well not right now finish watching this and then go order it or you know multitask yeah and uh, normally I think we did this backwards because I was going to ask you about about where you grew up Uh, I know that uh, your bio uh, was very interesting in that uh, your is it your ethnicity well it was Quaker I don't think Quaker is an ethnicity but is that true
0: Well, no, I I grew up uh, Cherokee Indian, and then but I'm we grew up Quaker, so like my mom, my mom's hundred percent, so I'm fifty, so but you know, so we have Indian heritage, but at the same time, my dad's Irish, and it's like, hey, we need to. Inspire you know, instill values or something, uh, in these kids. Um, and so we went to a friend's, the friend's church, Rose Hill, Kansas. And that's, so, I mean, as kids, we went to, um, we were Quakers and I just remember as a kid, cause again, I'm obsessed with cemeteries and I love taking photos and, uh, I just love going to cemeteries. Um, and which came in so handy uh during the pandemic. <laughs> like, hey, nobody has covid here alive. Uh you can't get me. Um and um but as kids, we were our chores as Quakers. Uh, every family had chores and ours was to take care of the local cemetery and I was just obsessed with the children's graves and so I always made sure they were clean um or and I would pick dandelion you know my mom my parents are like running lawnmowers over here it wasn't that big of a cemetery it's just like two, maybe two, eight, two or three acres but you know I'm out picking dan you know with a little paintbrush making sure all the babies' graves are, are clean and then putting little dandelions on their graves for them so hobby <laughs> you gotta have a hobby even if you're five <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: And, and what what better hobby than than hanging out at a cemetery cleaning children other children's graves that died in the eighteen hundreds
0: in off of a dirt road surrounded by a cow pasture yeah what's up Kansas <laughs> uh,
1: you know what you've described ex wife's uh, family farm in Mount Hope Kansas which is right outside of Wichita uh, yep. you know they had a land grant back in the eighteen fifties by like president grant they so they have they have i believe or they had the oldest wood frame house in kansas on this property in mount hope and on that property there is star cemetery which is exactly as you describe it it's a it's a a small patch of land i don't know maybe an acre uh with family but they donated it to the count they donated it to the county and um yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think the county now takes care of it, but it, it sits on their land. It's it's. Uh, and you see all these headstones with you know deaths from the eighteen hundreds, mid you know early nineteen hundreds, and just so much history there. So there's something very appealing about that uh, cemetery, those cemeteries.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Amazing, amazing. Um, and uh, and you grew up in Kansas then. Yes. Have you done anything with because there are other famous people from Kansas, correct? I mean, isn't like Sedacus from Kansas and and uh,
0: Eric, Street, Paul, Paul, um, Paul Rudd. Um, yeah, I remember I'm just gonna keep, I'm just like I'm doing a herald, I'm just bringing stuff back. Uh, I remember I was doing a, a tournament, a state tournament, and it was like. Whatever state you were from, you were kind of thrown together. Mm-hmm. And there were three or four of us from Kansas. And I remember we were like, how do we get a hold of Sodekis, Rudd, mm-hmm. and St- Street, and we can dominate?
1: <laughs> yes. And Lord, I think Lord. we were
0: able well, because Sodekis also went to KU. But, yep. uh, um, how, you know, I met him, I haven't seen him on things, I only met him like once. And it was I was at a taping of Saturday Night Live because I may be obsessed with you too, and you too was the uh uh was the uh, musical guest that night and do you remember rich Talarico Talarico was a writer yeah and
1: yeah. he
0: invited me to um to fly out and he was just like hey i you know uh do you want to come to the taping I'm like uh yes <laughs> so uh during the rehearsal, we were in the green room uh with, uh, Tina Fey and, uh, um, Chris Purnell. Chris Purnell. Oh my God. I butchered his name. He's God. He was so sweet and kind. So was Tina. And, um, uh, so we hung out in the green room for the camera blocking. And then we went into the stands for the actual taping. But I want to say at one point he had come up Sudeikis had come up to the green room and I met him like very briefly, but you know, Amazing, amazing. A... I,
1: Ted, Lasso, I, I... Ted Lasso, come on! I mean, I, I knew him from you know from the Chicago days, and then um, just would always you know either run into him. So we've always had this this connection. And I like letting people know that George Went is his uncle. Well, sometimes people don't know that that Jason Sudeikis' uncle is George Went. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm very I'm friends uh, with with Rich Tallarico, uh great guy. He was a writer at. Did you know him when he was at Matt? TV, because he was also a writer at MAD, at Mad and then SNL. Yeah, that's how
0: I knew him, I, you know, because he was there for many, many years, and um, so was I. Um, so, yeah, that's I Know Tallarico, and that's how, you know, so when I started the whole improv thing, it was like, you know, even if I didn't know people at IO, you know, I would go see das, das Risky because, you know, Taler- mm-hmm. I knew Tallarico, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's another great, all these great names, Bob Dassey, Rich Tellerico. Uh, and Jaganowski, yeah. right? Was that Dazariski? Yeah, it must have been. Yeah. Um, wonderful, wonderful. If people want to follow you, if people want to get a hold of you, what? I did put your what? link. Yeah. Here's
0: Maura. Uh, she's
1: why? She's back. I, 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 She's blind. So she's been blind her whole life?
0: Um, No, she was born with both of her eyes, and then um, I think she was like three or four months old when she lost the first one the first eye they had to the, the rescue group and uh, did search had to do have have the surgery done and she lost her eye then when I adopted her she only had the one eye and they were like oh she's gonna live a nice long happy life and um I had the insur I had insurance for her and then I think I had her 35 days and then her her own her good eye her only eye went south kind of swelled up like an alien and took her to an eye specialist and everything and we tried for two weeks to try and I mean I would wake up every few hours like in the middle of the night make sure you know you had to do a combination of drops and stuff trying to save it and they couldn't so she's um she's been without both eyes now for almost two years. But the night that she came home from the hospital, she played for like nine hours straight. And she's super smart. She loves crinkle balls. She'll take them into the bathtub because she can control the roll. So every night I take a shower, I have to check the bathtub for toys. Oh, <laughs> so my God. she just takes stuff in there um, and will play with them for hours. So, I mean, she has other toys and stuff, but she loves the bathtub. So...
1: It's very sad. That's, that's amazing. Brandy, thank you so much for, for taking uh, time out of your busy schedule to be here. <clears throat> and, uh, folks, uh, please follow Brandy uh, at either, uh, let's see, twitter.com, Brandy Stillwell, one word, or there's also twitter.com. Uh, is it Sasquatch D, as in David, D-E-T? Such, yeah. Sasquatch Detective, you know, D-E-T. Uh, or on Instagram which is Instagram.com slash Brandy underscore Stillwell. Uh, and, of course, follow me at PaulVato.com and Vato.TV. And anything else you'd like to promote?
0: Um, no, I just, you know, the uh, I, I think the theme of this book is, um you know, I was always that person that, you know, like if there's a race, uh, I was the one that always came in, like, fifth or seventh or ninth. <laughs> you know, you, I could be racing with 2000 people, but I'm like fifth or seventh or ninth and you'll never hear about me. And that's because, you know, I fell in an open manhole or I didn't read the directions correctly, or I made a right instead of a left. Um, but I think the, the main point of this book is that if you get knocked down seven times, you got to get back up eight. You just got to keep getting back up and get back up and get back up and get back up. And, you know, it's Tallarico that you used to always say to me, you know, it's not a race. None of this is a race, Brandy. So um, you just, you know, and I'm like, so kind of taking, you know, as an improviser, you would always want to take as much information. You know, you don't want to be Craig Kukowski. You don't want to be Rich Tallarico, but you want to take a little piece of khaki, a little piece of Talerico, a little piece of Dassey, uh, Ron West, and then make it your own. And, you know, because you have your own DNA, but if you can take a little, you know, knowledge from uh, an education from other people, Jamie Moyer, and um, make and become your own person. But again, life is tough. Life is, the road is never, ever, Freaking easy. Well, it is for some people, but not from this one. And that's why I'm just, you know, the motto is you get knocked down seven, you just got to get back up eight. So
1: amazing. Well, I think as long as, Fire. Amazing, amazing. It. as long as we take that DNA from those wonderful people and not Ron Jeremy, I think we'll be okay.
0: Uh, lots and lots of hot water, soap, and hand sanitizer. <laughs>
1: amazing.
0: Amazing. Some bleach, too.
1: Add some bleach. Add some bleach. Well, uh, Brandy, thank you so much again for being here. Uh, I appreciate your time. And I would love for you to do this again if, uh, you know, if you'd like to promote anything else or if you'd like to catch up again. Uh, You are truly an inspiration.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for it was such a nice surprise to see. I'm like to see you in my inbox. And I'm like, oh, Paul, what's up? Yeah, I would love to do this. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you.
1: You got it, my friend. You got it. All right folks, the show has come to an end. I want to thank everyone that was here and of course for anyone that listens to it on the replays. Thank you guys. Look a yeah, little floats a cigar in the sky over Nacta Renifra from of Chicago. Out to the for Pablo.